live in a culture that doesn't put that emphasis on marriage. We live in a culture that says, hook up, shack up, break up, repeat. That's the culture today. And since we live in that kind of a culture, that's bleeding into the church. And what's happening is people are looking at this once awesome relationship called marriage, and we're saying, boring, don't want it. I can get all the benefits, but without the responsibility. But then we miss out on the fact that this is the picture of God and the church. And what does it say to your coworkers, your neighbors, when we go through a relationship split or we go through something difficult or we think, oh, I'll just go find somebody else. We're communicating a message to a world that they need to see how beautiful and how awesome marriage is and can be. Now, I know in a marriage series, there's a lot that goes into this. There are people here, you've been divorced, you've been remarried. There are people that are going through separation. There are people that are going through a time where you're saying, hey, we're fighting infertility. We're going through a relationship difficulties. Hey, I haven't gone on a date in two years. Or my wife and I, we're kind of roommates. We're no longer soulmates. And there's when it comes to relationships, there's a lot of hurt feelings, aren't there? There is. Isn't it amazing that love is this most wonderful thing? But love brings so much pain. There's a lot of pain with love. I mean, you think about it. Parents, you have children that, are, that have grown up and maybe they're out of the home. Maybe they're still in the home. There's a lot of pain with those children. There's a lot of pain. They'll do some things that'll bring so much hurt to you. And you're thinking, why did I have these children? There are people, you've gotten married and you're thinking, why did I get married? There's nobody that could hurt me the way you have hurt me. But yet, isn't it amazing? We still go right back to it. Even those of us that have broken up end of a relationship, we still end up a few months later, a year later, kind of going back to it. What is it about relationships that we're just so wired for, we're connected for, we need it? And we're going to dive into that this week and the weeks coming. And I hope that you'll stay engaged with what God wants to do. We're going to be looking at the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter number one. I love this story. I love it. It's a great story because it, it reads like a novel or a movie. And it's just like any great story. You don't have to go too long before the drama kicks in in the story. There's just drama right away. I don't know about you. How many of you, after you said, I do, within a few hours, there was drama in the marriage? Anybody like that? Oh, I got some honest people here. Yeah, yeah. It didn't take long for me and my wife, all right? She thought she married perfect. She married far from perfect. And we had our first fight in the airport trying to get the rental car, all right? That's where it started for us. And then it was all downhill the rest of the the honeymoon. You say, why was it downhill? Because she got... uh, an allergic reaction. And so we had to go to the doctor and they gave her sleeping pills. So she slept through half our honeymoon, all right? It was just like, you know, I would just go on the trip. We'd see all these sights and she was just kind of there, just like passed out. And so I'd take little selfies with her and everything like, say, smile, you know, and everything like, look at that, all this cool stuff. So it was just basically me, but it was still, it was great at the time. But then you just kind of look at your relationships and all the, 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 the drama that can start. So let's read a few verses beginning in verse number one. And we're going to kind of dive into this book because the way it starts out is so powerful. It says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now, some of you, man, I just wasn't ready to leave Gideon. I just wasn't ready. And my wife even gave me a hard time about it. She was like, I'm done with Gideon. I was like, but I'm not, I'm not. And I found a book that even talks about the judges, all right? It says, now in the days of the judges, there was a famine in the land. Now, how many remember what famine? Do you remember what chapter? That was Judges chapter number six. That's where we meet Gideon. So this is parallel to the same time as Gideon, the book of Ruth is happening. Same time. 
Same time, same time zone. And so here's what happens. Because of this famine, this family does something interesting. And here's what the Bible says. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the, one was Elimelech. the, name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Here's what's so amazing that this family, they come, come to a point in their lives where there's a famine in the land. Now, scripture talks about different types of famine. There's a famine where there's no food. Then there's also a famine where we're not hearing from God. Then there's a famine spiritually. There was three types of famine. This famine has to do with the physical. There's no food. And so this father's thinking there's no food, but it's interesting because of where he lives. He lives in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And so he's going to leave the house of bread to go to Moab. What's amazing about Moab is in Judges chapter number three, Moab actually oppressed Israel. They were actually stealing from them. They were the enemy. It's amazing that sometimes because of a certain situation, we'll run to the thing that actually is against us and not realize how much can actually hurt us. Some of us will we'll go through a marriage difficulty and we'll run back to an old relationship we know we have no business going back to. Some of us will be going through a difficulty and we'll go back to maybe alcohol or drugs, things that we said, no, no, I don't want any more with that. And something that's difficult, the pressure comes and we'll revert right back. And so that's what happens with this family. So they moved to Moab and they remained there. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. I told you, it doesn't take long for the drama to start in Ruth. Man, as soon as they move, they move to Moab, and then Elimelech, he passes away. And it's interesting because they were only supposed to sojourn there just for a little time. But then the scripture tells us that they took wives, that the two sons, they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the women survived her two sons, and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the country of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Here we come to a passage of scripture and we meet some amazing characters. And the story revolves around a woman by the name of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman. Now a little bit of backstory on the Moabites, where they came from. They're a people that for 1,300 years have actually kind of been a thorn in the side of the children of Israel. And they came from what we would call, and uh, if there's children in the room, we would just want to let you know that this series will get a little bit PG-13, so you just hang with us. Uh, this next couple weeks will be about that. So parents, if you want to slip out now to go to Ridge Kids, it's not too late, okay? All right, you're welcome now. But what happened was a father had two daughters, and they were living in a cave, and the two daughters didn't have any husbands. And so they said, we want to carry on our father's line. So they did something really wicked. They got their dad drunk. And then one night, one daughter slept with her father. And then the next night, the other daughter slept with her father. And two nations came out of those two lines. And one of those nations was Moab. 
And because of that incestuous affair, God said to the children of Israel, do not intermingle. Do not have anything to do with the people of Moab. Don't have anything. And for 1,300 years, this, this, this people had plagued the children of Israel. And so here, one of the brothers, he marries somebody from Moab and has and marries Ruth. And so God does something great. And God's going to use that in a powerful way. But let's open with a word of prayer. And we're going to ask God's blessing on our day today. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you remove any distractions. Lord, my mind, I've got so many thoughts running through, so many things going on. I pray that you would quiet my own mind and my own thoughts. And I pray, Father, that we would engage with your word. There's nothing more important right now than in our country and in our society to step back and to look at our relationships. I pray for those that they're looking for a spouse, that you would help them to wait on you and to find the right one. I pray for those marriages that really they're just looking for uh, what's, what's going to fix the relationship and they're, they're holding on by a thread. And I pray that they would walk out with hope and with courage. Father, I pray for those that they're, they're in a good relationship, but it's maybe it's kind of in maintenance mode. And I pray that once again, they would find the passion. Once again, they would get excited about loving their wife or loving their husband like you've commanded us to. And so, Father, we commit these next few moments to you. I pray that you'd speak to hearts. I pray that we would be better husbands, we'd be better wives, we'd be better mothers and fathers, and we'd be better for you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we dive into this, there's one overarching thought that as we especially talk about relationship is that church isn't just a good place to get married. Most people today get married in a church, but church is not just a good place to get married. Church is good for marriages. And a lot of times I meet a lot of people. They say, I got married in a church once. All right, when's the last time you've been back? No, I haven't. I did the one time, one time, that's when. And I want you to really just put an emphasis on saying, you know what? God in his word wants to help my relationships. He wants to help my marriage, but he doesn't do it outside of the church. The church is what he wants to use. So thank you for making time to come this morning to put a priority on it because God uses church. He uses others. It's a blessing for our church that we have newly married. We've got people that have been married for 10, 15 years. And then we've got those people that they've made it for 30 years, 40 years, and that's good and it's healthy for our church. Why? So a younger couple can look at what we would call spiritual fathers in the church and be able to get instruction, be able to say, hey, how do I navigate the relationship? And so if you've been married for any time, you should be an encouragement to the others. You say, well, I don't have it all figured out. Nobody does. Nobody does. Just kind of relax for a little bit. Take a deep breath. This isn't all the things that you need to do and all the things you're doing wrong. This sermon is not going to give you emotional rocks to hurl at your spouse when you get home. Did you hear the pastor? You need to do this. You're not doing that. That's not what this message is about. It's not to give you emotional rocks. That's not what it is, okay? What this message is that my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will help you. So don't elbow your spouse. Don't pinch anybody. And don't look at them with that, that look. It's been great. Last week, I got to sit in the back and watch y'all. And some of your husbands, I could tell which point you struggle with because all of a sudden, Dave Young would say something and you guys would just kind of start rubbing your wife's back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just found where you're messing up. And he's like, oh, honey, I, I love you, you know, and that kind of thing. And then I saw the guys try to scoot closer and the girl's just like, no, like, uh-uh, you're getting, not getting off the hook. And they kind of scooted over. It's really cute. It's really fun. You're all jacked up marriages. So it's great. And uh, so I'm looking forward to today and what God's going to teach us and what God's going to show us. But you're thinking, how can Ruth help me? Because did you see what happened in just a moment? You had people that were in a family situation, a difficult one, and they left. 
You say, I'm not married, but I'm in a difficult family situation. Yeah, so this can apply. Did you see that there are single people that ended up getting married? Yeah, so if you're single, this will apply. Did you see that there are relationships here that because of death and loss are now separated? So people that were married are now separated? So if you're here and you said, I was married, now I'm separated, this will apply. There's no better book to talk about the full gamut of relationships because this is going to cover it all. The Holy Spirit's going to do work on all of us this morning because here we see that this woman, Ruth, goes through a traumatic time. The Bible says for 10 years she was married. How come there was no children? Do you think they battled some infertility? I would say so. Children was a big deal back in that day. To have children was a sign of a blessing from God or the gods if you were a Moabite because they would take that as a sign that God's favor was on them or the God's favor. And so at this point, you can see that they went through as a couple a lot of difficulty. So don't tune it out and say, oh, that that doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. I believe the word is going to speak to us this morning because I believe that what you're going through, and this is going to sound really mean. I believe what you're going through in your relationship is meant to be. And I know, and I know some of your stories and I know immediately you're thinking, what? It's not meant to be. No, it's meant to be. You see, you can look at the book of Ruth and you can see, wait a minute, here's a guy trying to take care of his family. So he leaves Bethlehem to go to another country where they have food and he ends up dying. His sons marry wives and then his sons end up dying. And then there's not enough food in Moab. So they're going to go back to Bethlehem. I don't see it because we're just looking at one part of the story. Because what God is going to do in the next four chapters is incredible. Because God is going to write the line of Jesus through this story. You can't get to Jesus without going through Ruth. Did you know that? You can't get there. She is this link in the chain. She's the part of the thread that connects us with Jesus. But not just Jesus. Ruth is the connection to King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. And so I want you to understand this morning that what God is doing in your life, it's meant to be. And it's difficult, I know. I know it's really hard. And it sounds cruel, me saying it, doesn't it? I've been married a whole whopping eight years. Like, what do I know? I don't know a whole lot. But we're just going to go through the word of God over the next several weeks. We're going to ask God to do what he can do, what only he can do. Because every marriage, I know this, is in need of a miracle. Every one. There are some men and women in this relationship. You're married and you think everything's all good and you have no clue. You have no clue that you're in maintenance mode. There's three types. This is free. There's three types of relationships in this room. There are relationships that are in survival mode, maintenance mode, and the third type is progress. That's the three types of relationships in this room. And you're going to cycle through those throughout your marriage. You are. And what happens is oftentimes we don't know the season or the stage we're in. It's important to know the season and the stage you're in. I'm in a season right now, church, where guess what? I'm not Jane's focus right now. You say, well, you really shouldn't. No, no, no. It's her and God. But then there's this little eight pound thing that's come between me and her. But it's a season. But it's important that I understand the season, isn't it? It's not a stage. It's a season. And some of you are in a season and you don't know it's a season. A season lasts three to 18 months. That's a season. Some of you are in a season in your relationship. Some of you are in a stage. You need to know the difference. Are you in a stage of growth? Are you in a stage of decline? That's maintenance mode. 
So you need to understand where, where does God have me? Because a lot of relationships get so frustrated. You want to quit. You want to bail. You're looking for the exit sign. Why? Because you don't understand the season and the stage that God has you in. And it's meant to be. All right, so you're going through season and stage, and some people would say, hey, I don't really like the season or the stage that I'm in. There's a single person wishing they were married, and then there's the married person wishing they were, well, you know. And so it's, it, it's those, those seasons and stages. But here's what happens. Every season has a strength and a struggle. Every season does. Every season has a strength and a struggle. You know, if you were to think back, there's a time in Israel's history when they were in bondage in Egypt. The Bible says that there rose up a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And what happened, because there was a Pharaoh that did not know all that Joseph had done for the nation of Egypt, he oppressed the Hebrews and he put them into hard labor, the Bible says. Hard labor. But the very next verse, you know what it says? It says that the Hebrews multiplied. There was hard labor. But then there's multiplication. Meaning your load doesn't have to be your limitation. Some of you are looking at your relationship and you're saying, oh, I can't believe I married this guy. Man, he just drives me up the wall. God's trying to teach you patience. Your load is not your limit. God is using that spouse, that person to sanctify you, to make you, to smooth out the rough edges. But it's real easy to look at that person and think, oh, I can't stand that person. Isn't it amazing how attraction can go to irritation really fast? I love counseling newly married or about to get married couples because they're so clueless like all of us were. They have no clue. I'll sit down with them and I'll grab a little chair and we'll go to a Starbucks. We'll go some. And I'll just be like, oh, tell me what you love about this person. And they're so cute. They're blushing. And they're all like happy and everything. And then she'll say something like, oh, I just love the way he makes me feel. And I'm like, oh, that's not going to last long. <laughs> That's not going to last long at all. And Jane will be there with me. We'll just look at each other. We'll kind of roll our eyes. They're like, are they going to make it? We have a little pool like a bet. No, we don't. We don't. We won't do that. <laughs> two years. He's like, two years? I gave it two days. I was like, oh, okay, all right, yeah. And we go through this thing, and you look at the couple, and then, and then you ask the guy, what do you like about her? And he'll say something sweet. I just like everything. Everything? I, I, I don't think that's going to hold up the I like everything. That means you actually don't like anything. You, you got to get focused here, okay? And so all you'll meet girls that, oh, he's just got a great sense of humor, and he just always spends time with me. Hey, when a girl hears that a guy always spends time with you, that's code for he's lazy and doesn't want to get a job. That's what that is, all right? That's what that is. I'm just, just letting you know right now. Oh, he's just always there. That's a problem. He shouldn't be with you from nine to five, okay? You shouldn't see him. You shouldn't see him. Otherwise, he's got issues. And we'll counsel with couples, and they don't know what's going on, and it's so much fun because I'm still learning. I'm still growing. But God, in this passage of Scripture, he's going to help not only you and I, but he's going to help us get a picture that marriage is meant to be. Marriage is meant to be. It's God's plan. Hollywood didn't come up with it. Culture didn't come up with it. They're going to say all their thoughts about it. And all of us have opinions. And if I were to ask you, what do you think of dating, marriage, and sex? Everyone here would have an opinion. But if our opinion is based on how we think and feel and not based on what the word of God says, we're going to be wrong. And there's a lot of relationships today that they're not built on the word of God and you're struggling. They're built on 
thoughts, opinions, blogs, mother-in-law, mom, but they're not built on the word of God. God cares about your relationship more than anything else. Just write that down. God cares about my relationship. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to make it. He wants you to have the awesome marriage that you've always dreamed of. Ladies, he wants you to have that where you feel satisfied. He wants you to feel in love with that person. Husbands, he wants us to feel when we're with our wives and our spouse and our girlfriend. He wants us to feel like this is it. I've reached a part of heaven here on earth. God wants that for you. Don't let culture fool you into thinking that unless I'm sleeping around and I've got a new girlfriend every other week or every other month that I'm just not really enjoying myself. That's not it. C.S. Lewis said, said it best. He said, it's not so much about being naked with another person as being emotionally naked with somebody else. That there's somebody that knows you so well, but yet loves you anyway. There is something so deep to that, that our culture knows nothing about. Our culture just says, hey, it's all about the physical. But isn't that the first thing to fade? The physical. And I know we live in a day and age where it just seems like, well, let's push that. Let's push the physical instead of saying, wait a minute, what's actually going to last? What is real? What is depth? What is going to carry our relationship? And so I want us to understand this morning that throughout this series, God is going to help our marriage. He's going to help us because God is at work even in the worst of times. God is at work. Even in the worst of times, God has not abandoned your relationship. He's not abandoned you this morning. So as we dive into it, let's go into this, okay? I've got just three simple points that we kind of want to go over as we kind of launch this series. And it may be a little bit broad overview. We're going to touch on some things because we don't have a lot of time. But I want to give you a couple truths that happen in a marriage. You say, a marriage is meant to be, okay? It's, it's, it's meant to be. God wants it to be. Everything that Ruth and them went through, God is going to work through it. God's going to work through the worst of times. But what happens when it's meant to be, sometimes you'll see when devotion becomes divided. It's meant to be, but what stops it from really being all that it could be when our devotion becomes divided? You see, here is a man, his name is Elimelech. Elimelech lives in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Elimelech is a God-fearing person. That's who he's supposed to be. But what's happened now is he's distanced himself from that. and He's gone to Moab. This is a terrible thing to do. We don't understand it in our culture because we just look at names and places we just don't understand. Moab is in modern-day Jordan where you would find Petra, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, I mean, that, that, that Indiana Jones, that scene in the last movie, that's Petra, that's Jordan. That's where Moab is. And from Bethlehem to Moab, this is a long journey, folks. Even today, it's a long journey. But back then, it's even more so. So he wasn't just leaving one little area. He was running from God. He was going as far away as he could. So there's been some divided devotion. And that's what can happen in a relationship too. There could be divided devotion. But here's what creeps in. Sometimes, and this is my struggle, it's my job. My job can divide my devotion. Because men, we're meant to conquer. We're meant to get things done. And when we don't feel like we're winning at home, we'll find somewhere where we're going to win, where we get that satisfaction. Instead of working through it with our spouse, we just kind of distance ourselves from our home life. And then we just kind of go to work where we can kind of take names and, 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 and win. And people give us attaboys and, and give us that praise. Because we just want to be successful somewhere. So I can, I can sympathize with Elimelech. He wants to win for his family. He wants his family well taken care of. And that's a noble goal, except for how many of you know that trying to do the right thing in the wrong way is still wrong? 
I'm going to go to the bank. Give me all your money. Now I'm going to go feed the poor. Is it the right thing to go feed the poor? Yes. Yes. But was the way I did it wrong? Absolutely. So it made what I wanted to do wrong. It's not my money to give away. You say, well, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to, to take care of my wife and I need to stay satisfied. And so I look at porn right before we get intimate. I told you it was going to be PG-13. Because my wife just doesn't get me going as much as she used to. I didn't have sex with another woman. No, but you used your spouse. With thoughts of another person. It's just as wrong. I know it's quiet. I can deal with awkward. I can deal with awkward. Because this is the culture we live in. The culture we live in today says, hey, you're not, you're not getting it from that person. What are you got to do to spice it up? And so sadly, we've got a generation that feels like, all right, I got to go and I got to watch these horrible movies that are coming out about uh, these terrible acts just so I can kind of get aroused instead of finding that satisfaction that God meant for in my spouse and in that person. Because God doesn't want a divided devotion. God doesn't want you trying to do the right thing in the wrong way. God wants you to have a devoted heart. He doesn't want a divided devotion. You want to fix your relationship this morning? Here's where it starts. You and God. That's where it starts. Any relationship. Any relationship. You just start right here. The vertical. Every time Jane and I get into an argument. Anytime Jane and I get into anything. The first thing I've got to stop and check is say, where's my heart? And in the heat of the moment, church, that's not easy, is it? It's not easy when you're frustrated, when you're worked up, where you feel like I have a right. And all of a sudden you're saying, wait a minute, I do have a right. Just because I'm right and I win the argument, what did I win? What'd you win when you win the argument? She sleeps in one room, you sleep on the couch. Good job. You got the couch. And a couple days of a cold war in your home. So you suffer at work, your children suffer, and the pets always suffer. You ever just notice that? Like the pets suffer too? You haven't fed your dog in two days? Your dog's like, what did I do? I did nothing. I'm so cute. My dog suffers. Maybe yours doesn't. Mine just like is deprived, you know? And so what happens is we've got to get back to, wait a minute, God, I've got to fix this. Because all relationships, if this is good, it helps me to get everything else right. Because now I can die to myself. Now I can be selfless and not self-centered. We live in a culture, though, that does the opposite. The culture says, and this is what happens because we have some well-meaning mothers who over-parented, make sure your son never had to pick up any dirty laundry, make sure he never had to do anything. And so now you've got a person that instead of serving his spouse, he feels like his spouse is supposed to serve him. And what happens is, he gets into a situation where he's like, serve me, serve me, serve me. And then the lights go off, serve me again. She's like, are you kidding me? I've been serving you all day long. I'm tired. And we as guys are like, I don't have a good marriage. <laughs> the reality is, here's where it starts. Ladies, let me just help you out, okay? A guy, a good relationship starts in the bedroom. That's where a good relationship starts for a guy. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's just where it starts. For a lady, that's not where it starts. The bedroom is a sign of a good relationship, not the beginning of a good relationship. But God wired us differently. That's how God wired us. And some of you, you've been so frustrated in your relationship, you're like, I can't figure this out. She never wants to be intimate, and he's always wanted to be. I just don't understand this. Like, if he would just do the dishes, maybe. And so we're so frustrated with these little things, instead of understanding that, wait a minute, God wired you both to get the same thing. He's just going to get there in different ways. 
Instead of being frustrated by it, instead of being so uh, perturbed, just say, wait a minute, when my devotion becomes divided, then God can't work. So let's get this right, then this can be right. Because God will teach you to be selfless and be self-sacrificing so you can serve others around you. Intimacy is an act of service for both. That's what it is. And yet we've got a culture that says it's not. It's all about my pleasure and my comfort. And so instead of having the desire to just do right by our spouse, we're joining in the culture and the temptation that says, hey, if we can't beat them, let's join them. Let's just do what everybody else is doing. So I want you to understand the divided devotion starts first with our attention. What gets your attention also gets your affection. I don't think this happened overnight where he just went to Moab. I think he could look at the economy of Bethlehem and said, hey, man, it's in, the housing market's going up. Cost of private school is really expensive. This commute's getting longer. How about we just move? Sounds like the Bay Area, doesn't it? And this is where people get to. Oh, it's so much cheaper in the Central Valley or it's so much cheaper. It's just hot in the Central Valley. It's just hot. I'm saying you can move there. It's just hot. And uh, you're saying, I'll move to Nevada. I'll move to Phoenix. Instead of saying, wait a minute, where does God want me to be in this? Where is God? Because guess what? Your, the environment of your heart, you're going to take that wherever you go. And that's what, Mo, what Elimit didn't understand. That just because I go to Moab and there's more food, guess what? doesn't mean my problems don't follow me. I know a lot of people, they're like, I'm going to leave this church. I'm going to leave this area. And they don't think their problems are following them. Because they don't understand they are the problem. That's it. My greatest problem in my life, you know what it is? You're looking at my greatest problem. It's me. Your greatest problem, it's not your addiction. It's not that you don't have a raise. It's not that people don't believe in you. Your greatest problem is you. And if we understand that and we say, okay, so if I move, guess what? My problems are probably going to be the same. If I haven't dealt with the problem here, it's not going to change over there. Location does not change situation. But oftentimes we do. Why? Because we get attracted to something and that attraction leads to an affection. But not only that, there's a direction here. You cannot choose the wrong direction and end up in the right destination. And some of us are doing that. Some of us, oh man, I just want, I just want a really good guy, but yet you're going to all the wrong places to find him. All the wrong places. I think it says a lot about person where you meet that person. I just think it does. Now, you say you're married and maybe you didn't need, that's all right, God can work through that. But I'm just saying, if you're looking for somebody, make sure you look for him the right places, Okay. So, first of all, we see when devotion becomes divided, that's what can mess up what is meant to be. Secondly, when desire turns to despair. You see it here in this passage. Here, here's Ruth. She's all excited, and she's like, oh, man, I, I, we moved to a new place, a fresh start. We're not going to be here for a long time, but we're just kind of kind of enjoy the life that we have. And then her, 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 her uh, sons get married. Husbands pass away. And a few years later, then her sons pass away. What happened, what started out as the desire to do the right thing ends up being turned into despair. And instead of saying, all right, Lord, what do you want through this? You know what it takes for her to leave? Is that when she finds that God turned around the situation back home. Some of you are not experiencing God's blessing, but you're hearing about God's blessing. And there's a difference. At Southridge, we want you to experience God's blessing, not just hear about God's blessing. Naomi is only hearing about it. Our goal for you is to experience it. We're going through a great study right now. It's called Experiencing God. And you and I, we're trying to tap into this thing where Christianity is not just here. It is experiential. 
The reason the lost world is not enamored by church, not excited about church, because you and I aren't experiencing anything. We're not seeing God move in a great way. Why? Because we got this all figured out. We could do it all on our own. Instead of just trusting the Lord to work and trusting God to work things out. And so here we hear, have this person, and she's hearing about God's blessing, so she decides to go. All right, now it's time to go. And some of you in your relationship, you're doing things not based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, but you're doing it because of what you heard and what you feel. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's dangerous to say, this is how I feel. Would you write this down? My feelings aren't always real. They're not always real. It's not a good indicator of where I actually am. It's not. It really isn't. A feeling can last for just a moment, but the feeling's going to go away. It will. Some of us, we say, man, I'm just really, really down and depressed. If you went to the gym, it'd probably take care of some of that. Change up your diet, probably take care of some of that. There are some little things you can do that we just get down in despair and we just think like, man, my life is just so bad. Instead of understanding, wait, God has a plan. He can work through this and God can take, and, and when we let this desire, it'll turn into despair. You see, a relationship takes radical commitment. It's what it does. Shakespeare said this, God, the best maker of all marriages, combine your hearts into one. It's gonna take a real work of God. So really take your relationship and really make it work. That's what it's going to take. And so we need to understand this as we go in. We're, we're wrapping things up. We don't have a lot of time. One decision can make a great difference. We're moving fast, but I want you to see this real quick. This is so awesome. So here in this passage of scripture, we see that Naomi, she's decided, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And on the journey there, I think she has a moment with herself. This moment is that I'm going to go back to my hometown. How many of you, you like to go to your stomping grounds, your old high school, your old town? I do. I drag my family to Fresno, and I I drag them past the old school I went to. It was a really weird, small, real small school. We had barbed wire around the playground that faced in to keep everybody in. And uh, it was was a real crazy place. We wore a little striped pajamas. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't. It did have the barbed wire, though. It really did. And so I'll drag, and my wife is like, we, we've been here, but I've got a new boy, so he hasn't seen it. So that means I get to go back. That's what it means. But I do, I get nostalgic. I like to go see the old house. I like to go see the old neighborhood. I like to see how some of the old friends are doing. I like to show them, my wife's hotter than yours, man. What up? You know, that's just, just glow. That's just what I do. I'm a punk. And uh, you just kind of go back and it's always neat to go back to the old neighborhood and see people and see old friends. And I I like going to the church I grew up to sometimes and seeing the families and they're like, wow, you're not in jail. That's amazing. I just look them funny. I I, I don't understand that, but um, it's always great to go back home. But think about it for Naomi. She's been gone at least 10 years. And typically when we go back somewhere, what do we want to happen? We want to show them I've made it. Things are good. I'm doing great. Hashtag praise God. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag I'm better than you. Like that's just, we don't hashtag that last one, but we think it. And you go back to the old town and imagine Naomi though. She's excited to go home. But then she stops. She says, wait a minute. I left with a husband and two sons. Now I'm coming back with two daughter-in-laws who are from Moab. Do you understand what's now going to take place? Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand the conversation she's going to now have to have? Did you see? Did you see Naomi? Did you see who was with her? Those aren't good Hebrew girls. They're from the other side of the tracks. 
Now she's got to explain her shame. She's got to tell what happened. And so you can imagine this conversation. She's wrestling with herself inside because the only connection she has to her son's left, the only, the only family that scripture really tells us about at this time is these two women. And as she gets to the border of Israel, she's about to cross over. She turns, she has this emotional moment between her and her two daughter-in-laws. She says, you've been good to me and to the dead. Now go home. And she even tells him, go back to your moms. Go back to your small G gods. Go back. Go back to your old way. Go back to your old culture. Just go back to all of that. (coughs) And it's this emotional moment. It's a tough moment. And you and I, we would look at Naomi and say, Naomi, what are you doing? And I can kind of understand for this reason. It's because oftentimes hope is blocked by hurt. Some of you can't see a better future because of all the hurt inside. And relationships are so hard. There are people in this room this morning, you smile and you put on a a happy face and you hugged and shook hands, but you're going through so much. And you're here this morning, you're thinking, if anybody knew how difficult it is for me just to get up each day. And it's because your hope is blocked by the hurt that you feel. And relationships can cause so much hurt. And here's Naomi. She's going through so much pain, through so much hurt. And she's telling these two ladies to go back home. And that could very well almost be the end of this story. But it's not because of one brave woman's decision. And I want to read it because it's so powerful. And in verse number 15, the Bible says, and she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return you after your sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I go. Where you lie, I will lie. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. When you die, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part you and me. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. I've been to some weddings where that's what sometimes the bride or the groom will quote in their vows to the other person. It's a vow of saying, I'm with you. And Ruth makes one bold, one brave decision, knowing that Naomi may not have any more family. There may not be a husband in Bethlehem. There may not be a job over there. There may not be anything. But you know what? Here's what happens, folks. Relationships are messy. Am I right? They're messy. They're all messy. But here's what happens. And it's just what my kids do. The other day, my daughter, she's an artist. She loves to paint. And she'll get out her paint, but then she spilled it. And what did I do? I asked her to clean it up. I probably should have just said, don't clean it up. Because you know what happened to that spilled paint? She just made the mess messier. Do you know what I've done in my relationships? There's been a mess. You know what I've done? I've made it messier. I've come home, and I've been in a happy mood, and I'll come back, and Jane's just doing the dishes. I'll say, hello, beautiful wife of mine, mother of my children, oh, fairest among women. (laughs) Nothing. And then I'll say something really good like, what's your problem? That always helps, guys. Always write that down. That's really good. That just makes everything not better at all. Matter of fact, it took what was messy and made it, help me out, church, 
messier. I took a mess and made it messier. Ruth could have done the exact same. Her life's a mess. Let's just be honest. Call it for what it is. She married a guy. The guy dies, leaves her with nothing. It's a mess. It's an emotional mess. But she decided to do one thing that Ruth couldn't do. Ruth was just making her mess messier, wasn't she? Just go, just leave. I don't want anything to do with my past. Matter of fact, Ruth even changes her name to Mara, meaning bitter, saying, hey, God is, God's hands are against me. God's against me. Don't follow me. God's against me. But Ruth decides, my life is not all that I meant it to be, but I'm not ready to quit or walk away yet. And so Ruth decides, I'm going to stay with you. Because I'm not going to make this mess any messier. Because I go back home, I start all over. But if I follow you, there's a great chance that something great could happen. And some of you, you're at this point where you're like, I don't know what to do with my situation right now. You're like, I don't even come with my spouse today to church. We could barely look at each other this morning. We argued in the car on the way here. Man, that's an ugly dress. Or that, you, you, your face, what's wrong with your face? Well, we're going to the house of God. Let's just be happy about it. And you get a, hey, good to see you. So great. Good to be here. So blessed. This is awesome. And here she comes to this moment. And there's this verse that just rocked my world for a moment when I saw it. It's the last verse, verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite as her daughter-in-law with her which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the, can you help me out, church? What does the Bible say? Barley harvest. Some of you that grew up in the church, you know how this story turns out. Ruth meets a man in the field who had a job. He owned a house. He could take care of her. And it was because of the season. She was in. And some of you think, I'm just in the wrong season. Oh, no. God has a future on the other side of your famine. Amen. Amen? God has a future on the other side of your famine. What you're going through right now, God meant it. He's working something. He's doing something. And there's a harvest that God's going to work out. And I'm excited over the next couple weeks. As we dive into this, because I believe it's going to help our relationships. I want you to have the most awesome, God-honoring, amazing relationships. I hope it's so sappy that next week coming to church, you guys are all just in the chairs making out with each other or something. Just crazy. Like, we can't even worship. Y'all are just all over each other. Man, some of you guys worship. And man, you like both hands in the air. You don't have to hold hers. Yeah, just hold her hand. Man, show some love. It's like, well, we're just, we just don't do that kind of thing. All right, please, PDA in church is okay. Except for the dating people. Like, mm-mm, no, that's, you're not single, you know, ready to mingle, not here, all right? It's, uh, save that. I'm just kidding. Let's stand, and we're going to close with a word of prayer.